This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Content warning. The following episode contains graphic descriptions of war and strong language. Welcome to The Guardian Long Read, showcasing the best long-form journalism covering culture, politics and new thinking. For the text version of this and all our long reads, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read. They robbed me of my children. Yemen's war victims tell their stories. Written by Bushra al-Maqdari and translated by Sawad Hussein. I reached Aden, the temporary capital of Yemen, in the second week of March 2015. Missiles shook the city from all sides. Houthi militias bombed the presidential palace, where President Hadi was holed up. Army tanks trundled down the main streets. On the 23rd of March, the decision to go to war was made. Diplomats and international employees left Sana'a, Yemen's largest city, while foreign embassies closed their doors and evacuated their personnel. Leaders of political parties departed the country with their families. I said farewell to some of them in good faith. I didn't think that, having sensed the war was coming, they had decided to flee and leave us to our fate. Hedi fled the country on the 25th of March. That same day, a military coalition organised by Saudi Arabia in support of Hedi and against the Houthi uprising began airstrikes. The coalition also included the UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Jordan, Pakistan, Egypt, Senegal, Sudan, Qatar and Morocco. At 2am on Thursday the 26th of March, Arab coalition fighter planes suddenly cut through the Sana'a sky and war became a reality. What's engraved in my mind from that morning isn't the roar of the explosions or the horrifying thunder of planes piercing the sound barrier or my anxiety over the trajectory of missiles hitting targets further than I could see or the sounds of war that I'd grown accustomed to. Rather, 
It's the shock of how war was conjured, how life collapsed in one fell swoop. Civil infighting, the humiliation of hunger, the indignity of it all. Our generations lost dreams. We have returned to pre-civilization. All cities are without electricity. We live by candlelight and the gas lanterns our ancestors used. When the gas runs out at home, families resort to cutting down trees to burn in wood stoves. There's no clean water to drink. Every day, children and elderly people line up with pots at tankers, donated by some doer of good. You see poverty wherever you turn. Citizens have lost their jobs and livelihoods, impoverished to the point where they don't even question the meaning of war. Women and children fight over scraps from rubbish piles. Families sleep outside. People are relocated to miserable camps on the outskirts of cities and left there. Abandoned by the world, forgotten. Amid this complete misery, a different world emerged. One of new villas whose cement boundary walls spanned several streets. Lavish high-rises glittering in dusty back streets. Sprawling malls, new petrol stations, currency exchanges, private schools and hospitals, all financed by stolen national revenue. This is the world of the new war rich, the war profiteers, the hidden market tycoons, the relatives of the Houthi militias and a former president, Ali Abdullah Saleh. Elites enrich themselves at the expense of the millions starving in Yemen. This is precisely why they are so keen for this war to last as long as possible. As I write, the roar of explosions swells. Our windows shudder. These explosions that rob people of their sleep and sometimes of their lives have become the backdrop to my writing about victims of war. It's as if time has stood still since I began writing and recording the testimonies of victims' families. The scars of war don't go away. They stay in our souls and our memory. They remain alive in the memory of all those who have experienced war and suffered its destruction. Those who have lost their loved ones. You cannot forget the horror of this war or our tragedy simply because the world wants to pull the curtain down over it to hide the victims and reward the executioners. So then, these witness testimonies, their voices, are a finger in the eyes of the murderers and the hunting dogs they hide behind. They are a memory against forgetting, against feigning ignorance, against indifference. They are comfort and peace for the souls of all of those who have been killed and the loved ones who are left behind with nothing but memories. In every house in the city, there is a story that must be put to bed. As told by Sumeya Ahmed Saeed from the city of Taiz in Yemen's southwest. On the 20th of August 2015, at 4.30pm, the Houthi militia targeted a group of children playing next to a shop that belonged to Sumeya's husband. Muhammad Qasim Rashid al-Khudami, in Taz's al-Tabu'a neighbourhood. Three of their children, Usaid Muhammad Qasim Rashid al-Khudami, aged eight, 
رحمة محمد قاسم رشيد الخدامي age 6 عن عز الدين محمد قاسم رشيد الخدامي age 2 were killed as was Sumayya's father-in-law Ahmed Ali Ahmed al-Khudami age 50 and a number of other children from the neighborhood A week ago, I was blessed with a boy. I named him Usaid, after my firstborn who was killed. She bites her nails anxiously. I wish I didn't remember what happened. In the early days, we would remember our children and cry. Then after some time, we would each grieve alone. When Muhammad's mind wanders and his vision glazes over black, I know very well in those moments that he's missing them. He doesn't talk about the children. And when I ask him about them, he goes quiet. I cry and he becomes sad and withdrawn. As time went on, I convinced myself that it was better not to mention the children in front of him. I leave my sadness inside, lock it up in my heart. A pain has grown between us, one that has come to occupy a giant space in our lives. Even so, I didn't want to make life harder for him. He was struggling to forget. What happened is still there. In his injured eye, his glass eye, which contains it all. I told her that when I interviewed her husband, he collapsed crying, so I stopped recording. Whenever someone would visit me, I'd wail uncontrollably, not knowing who I was anymore. The thing is, I don't have the kind of mind that can forget. I stay silent. Muhammad grows sadder. And when we hear the bombs, I say, the shells will kill us this time. But when they pass over us, I think of the house the shells destroyed. I think of corpses, dead children, grieving mothers. That's when I wish we lived in a room underground so I wouldn't hear the bombs or the news of death. I lost my baby in the first months of the war. When I was still in my first month of pregnancy, my children were killed after. She cries. But what makes my story special? It's the same for thousands of women who have lost their children to war. In every house in the city, there is a story that must be put to bed. One that no one should reawaken. She looks off into the distance. I'm tired. I've been in this room overlooking the alleys the whole time. And from this low window, I've heard the children's squeals and shouting, my children's friends playing, carrying on as if nothing has changed. Life goes on around me, indifferent to me, me whose children were taken by war with nothing left but my memories of them. I remember my son, Usaid, and my daughter, Rahma, 
playing in the neighbourhood while I tidied up the house and prepared lunch. They raised their voices to let me know that they were nearby. Such things would comfort me. But what's the use of remembering now, when I think of them being killed? I lose her. She cries. I remember my last words with my uncle. I was standing in the basement room we used to live in, and my children playing around me like always. I was reassured by their racket. My uncle picked up my son Ezzedin and said, I'll take him outside with me to get some fresh air. I didn't think that would be the last time I'd ever see them. She cries. I felt a tightness in my chest. I couldn't breathe. And asked myself, why is the basement so hot today? Why is it so dark, even though the lights are on? As Muhammad was getting ready to go out, he said, The resistance has freed Al-Gahira Castle. The world is safe again. Let the children play outside. Hearing what her father said, Rahma took her twin sister and went out, with the others following behind. I don't know why I let them go out. She weeps bitterly. The basement walls crumbled under the force of the blast. The world around me grew dark. I called out to Muhammad to bring the children inside, but he didn't answer. Then I heard a scream, like the sound of an animal being slaughtered. It was Muhammad. The world began to spin. I ran outside into the street. She cries and bites her nails. She fans her fingers out and looks at them. I called out to my husband again, not paying attention to the blood flowing from his eye. Looking at the corpses, he grew pale and fainted. I ran around the courtyard, screaming and screaming, seeing my children's bodies, Blood covered my uncle's face, but he was still breathing, choking out his words. He pointed at my children. I didn't understand what he was saying. I was running from one edge of the courtyard to another, then I stopped. When my eyes landed on Yusayd and Izzeddin, I lost all control. They told me afterwards that Yusayd had been playing the helicopter game with him, carrying his brother in the air to make him fly when the missile hit them both. The bodies of my children, Yusayd, Izzeddin and Rahma, were next to their grandfathers. I only saw my children. I couldn't even hear the voices of those injured around me seeking help. I stood next to my children. Yusayd was lying lifeless. Rahma had a huge gash in her back. And an elderly man carried Izzeddin in front of me. 
I couldn't look at him. And my other daughter, Mawadda, was injured. She had been with her twin, Rahma, when the missile hit. Her sister flew through the air right before her eyes. Mawadda is still in shock. She has lost her twin, her lifelong playmate. She was pierced by shrapnel and still hasn't got any better. She's always in her own world. When she sees a stranger in our house, she hides. She doesn't want her sister's name to be said in her presence. And when she plays with the children in the neighbourhood, she avoids anyone who mentions Rahma. She refuses to go to the school where she and her sister studied together. The one day she went, she came home in tears. I visit my children in the cemetery whenever I get the chance, but I'm still not convinced they're dead. Living in memories is painful because you realise no matter what you do, they've become just that, memories. No longer real life. My husband hid their photos. He doesn't want me to see them because I'll cry and that will be the end of him. But I was able to get some from a friend and have hidden them away. I'll never forget my children. Every day, I curse the militia. They've robbed me of my children. And now I only see them in my dreams. I don't want anyone to visit me. I just want to cry alone. Thanks for listening to The Guardian Long Read. We'll be back after this. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The audio long read is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. 
It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash audiolongread today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash audiolongread. Welcome back to The Guardian Long Read. I dream of the moment just before the missile fell. As told by Ahmed Abdul Hamid Saif from Al Qutay, a village in the western governorate of Hodeida. On the 26th of January 2017, at 5.40pm, Arab coalition aeroplanes attacked the house of Ahmed's brother, Fahmi Abdul Hamid Saif, in Al Qutay. Fahmi's wife, Asma Abdul Qadir Yaseen Sharaf, aged 30, was killed, as were three of their children Muhammad Fahmi Abdul Hamid Saif, aged 12, Malik Fahmi Abdul Hamid Saif, aged 3, and Malakat Fahmi Abdul Hamid Saif age 18 months. Along with another girl, Nasreen Hassan Zaid Muhammad, age 10, three women and two of their neighbours' children. Fahmi and Asma's son, Ammar Fahmi Abdul Hamid Saif, aged 8, was injured and his left leg was amputated. Sebafon, the mobile phone company that was the nominal target of the attack, refused to compensate the families or pay for any treatment. It had to be a horror movie. It was unreal. A movie with no sound or actors. One that directed itself. Only about a second long, and which only I saw. Missiles flying, arriving from the west, falling than hitting my brother's house. I always pause at that moment, playing it over in my head, speeding it up at times to see for myself what happened afterward. At other times I pause it, then let it play in slow motion until the details are etched in my memory. I interfere in the movie freezing the missiles and pausing time itself again and again. The night when I see my brother sad and silent and my attempts to console him are of no avail. I imagine that I had the power to stop those missiles or that the universe 
had stepped in at the very moment with an earthquake or a hurricane, something bigger than us all, making those missiles explode in the mid-air before they had the chance to destroy our lives. But now I think about how missiles don't just fall from the sky. There is a mind behind them, a villain who presses the button to lock in a target. My brother is home, killing women and children. Look around you. There is nothing here in Al-Qutay. Nothing. He falls silent. Just scattered homes of poor families. Repair shop, a market. No military barracks, patrols, militias or even armed men. For years it's only been us living here. We've had nothing to do with the war. We've tried to live in peace. But then they came here with their missiles and killed my brother's family. He takes out a cigarette and smokes. Some days later, I heard what some people were saying and lost it. They were saying that the coalition's missiles had targeted the Sabafon antenna next to my brother's house. Liars. Bastards. If that were true, then the coalition should have warned the residents. Listen up, you fools. We are going to blow up this damn useless aerial. We would have then immediately picked up our children and run away with our families to the desert. But the antenna wasn't touched. The missile fell on my brother's house, which had been the target all along. I don't know what made me stop at that moment. In the movie in my head, I don't stop. But what actually happened was different. Fear seized my body when I saw death before my eyes. I froze and thought of what was going to happen. My brother was next to me, but he was looking in another direction. I don't know where I got the strength. I held Fahmi tight in my arms so that he wouldn't see. But when he turned around, he saw the explosion and the smoke rising from his house. He struggled against me. I hugged him tighter and let him cry. His body was shaking in my arms. Some friends came and helped me stabilize him. Keep an eye on him. I said, I will go and have a look. I was afraid he would hurt himself. He cries and puts out his cigarette. I was the first to go into the house, alone. I didn't think about the roof, which could have fallen in at any moment. What I saw was horrific. I couldn't get any closer. I stood where I was, in the middle of it all, not aware of what was around me. After some time, a few families arrived together. 
carrying away pieces of furniture and other things. They were ransacking the house. I couldn't stop them. I was numb. He cries. I didn't pay attention to Fahmi. I was staring at the burned bodies, the crushed bodies, the dismembered bodies, the distorted bodies, some of which had been flung outside the house because the blast had been so powerful. First, I saw some neighbors and a, a child from our area. And then, on the opposite side, my sister-in-law, her young son Muhammad, and two daughters, Malik and Malakat. When I saw Malakat dead, and her feet and hands missing, my tears started to fall. Oh, Malakat, <laughs> darling. I wish I had taken you with me. That day she wouldn't leave my side. She had told me, Amu, take me with you. I carried her with me and took her out to the shop, then dropped her off back home. The missile hit minutes later. He cries bitterly. My brother screams that day. The missile whistling in the air and then falling on his house. The smoke, the burned bodies. These are the images that have kept me awake for months. Sometimes I dream of the moment just before the missile fell. And in those dreams, I always managed to stop it. My brother is still tormented. He can't sleep. He can't forget. He is preoccupied with finding treatment for his injured son. I carry my brother's sorrows. I enter the house and the memories come rushing back. I remember my brother's children and his wife, their laughter, the noise they would make, our beautiful life together. Damn the coalition and whoever came with them to our country. Damn every side that has murdered Yemeni people. They are all just that. Murderous. Who will bring back Malik, Malakat, Muhammad and Asma to my brother? Huh? Who? Tell me who? Who? I stood silent that day among the rubble, looking at what was no longer there. 
as told by Sabah Abdel Ahmed Farah from the Irat Hamdan area of Sana'a. On the 2nd of June 2015, at 5.30 p.m., Arab coalition aeroplanes targeted Seba's house. Two of Seba's children, Noura Ali Ahmed Muhammad Al-Qabali, aged 19, and Shuhab Ali Ahmed Muhammad Al-Qabali, aged 5, were killed. Her daughter's friends, Lubna Sultan and Ishraq Al-Zayfi, were also killed. Four of her neighbours' children were killed. Rudaina Al-Atmi, Amira Al-Atmi, Abdu Al-Atmi, and Adib Al-Atmi. The coalition destroyed Saba's house, which her husband, Ali Ahmed Muhammad Al-Qabali, had built himself. It was just like any other day, except my daughter's friends were over. I remember how happy she was to have them there. She hadn't seen them for months. I looked intently at her radiant face, a mother mesmerised by her only daughter, shortly to be engaged. Two days earlier, her aunt had asked for Nora's hand for her son. I'll think about it, Nora had said. That day, I wanted to give her and her friends some privacy. I told Nora, I'm going over to Umlubna's. Make sure to call Shahab inside if it looks like rain. At 4.15pm, I heard the planes overhead and told myself, maybe they'll bomb Jabal Nukam or Erat Hamdan, the highest points near us, like they have before. In that moment, I remembered my son Shahab and how scared he'd get from the sound of the planes. Whenever he heard them, he'd yank on my neck, and I'd get impatient, saying, You're choking me, Shahab. You're choking me, Ibni. In his trembling voice, he'd respond, Mama, I'm holding you tight so you don't get scared. My neighbour, Um Lubina, told me, Don't worry, Shahab's probably inside now. Then the windows exploded, and shards of glass flew around us. Um Lubina's house filled with smoke. I'll have a look outside and check on Shahab, her sister said. And then, Khala, your house isn't there. She falls silent. Can you imagine? Your house and everyone in it just gone. Swallowed whole by the earth. When I saw the remains of my house through their window frame... I was unable to speak. I don't remember how I held myself together, how I crossed the few metres to where the house had been, replaced now by a hole six metres deep. All I remember are the limbs, the plane circling above our heads, the smoke everywhere, and me in shock, staring at what was left of my home and of my neighbours, which had been partly destroyed. Faces passed by in front of me. Limbs. Corpses. My son Khaled dug to get his siblings out. 
he held a small foot, and my legs gave way. It was Shuhab's leg. It definitely was. This wasn't simply a mother's intuition. I recognised the black trousers and jacket I'd dressed him in that morning. I walked aimlessly, leaving behind what had been our home. One of the neighbourhood women saw me and took me to a clinic nearby. The clinic was full of injured people. I saw my other neighbour who had been pulled from the rubble. She was mourning her four children who had been killed. I held her in my arms and repeated to myself the truth of what happened. She was rambling, repeating her children's names. I didn't yell like other mothers who've lost their children. I didn't strike my face and lament. I refused to look at my children's limbs. I stood silent that day among the rubble, looking at what was no longer there. Steadfastness took root in that moment, washing over me like cool water. In that moment, when I sat in front of the remains of my home, where everything I had was gone, steadfastness forced me to face reality. To remember Nora, as I had last seen her, laughing, happy with her friends, and Shohab, playing, singing, unafraid of the plane that would kill him. Three days after the bombing, I wanted to see what had once been my home. I just stared at the hole that had swallowed up my family and forced myself in the memories of time past, sheltered by the home my husband toiled for years to build, a place to protect us from the elements, the home that was no longer, the home that had become a hole. In my mind, I look into the heart of the hole. I remember our life in the disappeared house, and Nora, how happy she was, how cherished she was, how everyone loved her. Her whole life had been in front of her. I remember Shuhab playing in the hallways. I remember life as perfect and complete. Wordless, I go on looking and looking down into the hole. That was They've Robbed Me of My Children, Yemen's War Victims Tell Their Stories, written by Bushra al-Maqdari and translated by Sawad Hussein. This was an extract from What Have You Left Behind? Voices from a Forgotten War by Bushra al-Maqdari. Sumeya was read by Amina Atik. Ahmed was read by Aso Shirabiani. Sabah was read by Sarah Aga. And... Bushra is read by me, Aisha Mahi. Produced by Jessica Beck. The executive producer was Danielle Stevens.
For more Guardian long reads in text and a selection in audio, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.